Glad that y'all are with us today. We want to take a quick minute and say hi to everybody over in T9. Thank you for all of those who are worshiping on the other side of that wall over there. We appreciate those who who uh, help create. We got a few more empty seats over here than we did last week. So thank you for all of those who are helping us and still be able to facilitate new people connecting with us before we get into our building. We get into our building, we got lots of space over there, but over here we're still kind of tight. So for all of you who are worshiping T9, thank you so much. For you, those of you who don't know what T9 is, T9 is happening on the other side of that wall in Theater 9. They have our own, uh, its own worship team. It operates a little different than in here, and it's a little more coffee house acoustic feel. And uh, but the teaching is on the screen right now, and so very much a part and very much connected. And uh, for those of y'all who are willing to go and do that with us until we get moved and um, help open up some seats in here, that is greatly appreciated. And so um, we're excited about everything that's happening. Uh, this is the part of the service where those that came prepared to give that we do that. And there's no, never any pressure. Um, giving should be this thing that is should very much be a part of who we are and our, our core DNA. And let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13.3. This is right here at the beginning of what's known as the love chapter. And uh, let's just go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 13.3. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor. That's some significant giving. Two, a good cause. People that who are down on their luck and who need it. This is giving everything you've got and putting it in a, in a significant place. And it says, and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Generosity should always be a response of love. It should never be a response of anything else. It should not be a religious response. It should not be anything else other than just a thing of love. And so we are excited about these opportunities that we have. We're excited about the the new building that we're going to get to inhabit and be able to move into. And all of your generosity is making it available out of a place of love for people who've never stepped foot into Celebration Church, have never connected with our ministry you're making the way for them to be able to do that. You're loving on them and they don't even know it. And that's what real love is all about. So as you're giving this morning, let's let this be an act of love. And so, gentlemen, you can go ahead and pass those baskets around. Also, if you have any prayer requests, this is the time for you to slip those in here. Well, we're in the second week of 10 weeks of a series we've simply called Untroubled. I don't think any of us is going to take any arm twisting to be able to see that in our world there's trouble. In your world there's trouble. If we were to take a poll, like I said last week, if I was to say who had some trouble this week, I would anticipate everybody's hand goes up on some level. You had work trouble, personal trouble, car trouble, some kind of trouble. And it's part of living in this fallen world. And if you missed last week, I really suggest you go online, you download the, <clears throat> download the service, download the, the podcast, because we looked at why trouble. If God is so good, why do we see so many bad things? And that's a core question. And until we recognize the grace of God at work in our lives, even in this place where trouble can still come into our lives, we're going to miss how to interact with God in the middle of our trouble. And today we're going to look at that next piece. And I've simply called this untroubled trouble. Is that as trouble comes our way, how to take the trouble out of it. And God's given us this beautiful, beautiful truth. 
Let's go ahead. If you've got your Uversion app, you can follow along on that. If you've got your old school little bulletin, that's easy enough to work with as well. We handed those out on the way in. <clears throat> We're going to come back to this concept over and over and over again, that in Christ we can live <clears throat> untroubled in a troubled world. And the only place that happens is in Christ. John 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is one of his last encounters with his group before they hit the Garden of Gethsemane where he is then betrayed, he's in the hands of the Romans, you go through the whole mockery court deal, and he's eventually crucified and, and dies for you and I, and is buried and, and rises again. And this is part of his, his last little moments with his disciples. And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He wants us to have peace. That's what God, he's the prince of peace. He wants us to have this place of peace. But then he comes here and you're like, okay, God, he wants us to have peace. That means smooth sailing, crystal clear waters, no problems. God's son says he wants me to have peace. So then we extrapolate that and say, well, that means that we give our lives to Jesus. We get connected with this being a Christ follower thing and then everything's just easy. And he didn't let his disciples think on that for even a second. Because he immediately in the next sentence is, It is in this world you will have trouble. Hmm, that's pretty nice there, Jesus. I was hoping you'd give me a pep talk. This is, I'm not really feeling like I can go out and take the world after that sentence right there. I'm not feeling real encouraged. You've just told me that you want me to have peace. And now you're telling me that in this world, I'm going to have trouble. So what is it? Am I going to have peace or am I going to have trouble? And the answer is yes. That's the answer. You're going to have peace in your trouble. Peace in the middle of the mess. Because he says, take heart. That's where the peace comes from. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, take heart. If you try hard enough, you're going to make it. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, take heart, have peace. If you get all your little ducks in a row and you do all your little, little worship moves right, then you're going to overcome the world. No, he put the overcoming on the only one who could do the overcoming. Squarely on his shoulders. And he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That's where our peace comes, is in recognizing that he is in the middle of the storm with us. He's the king of it all, and he's going to take care of us. So now we're going to look at this concept of what does it really mean to take heart? That's not something we go around saying. Somebody comes to us to with a problem, and they're just having a bad day, and you go, take heart. Anybody been told that this week? I've not been told. Take heart there, buddy. That's not a phrase we use. What in the world does it mean to take heart? We take heart by remembering that God cares for us. We, this, the, the doubt, the cycle, the wondering, God, are you really there? What's happening here? That's that place where it begins to rip out that place of peace, rip out that firm foundation, our anchor in the storm, because we begin to second guess if God even cares for us. Because what he's told us to do in 1 Peter 5, 7 is to cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Anxiety shows up. But what are we supposed to do with it? 
We don't find it, call it a pet, give it a name. So many times we want to say, well, yeah, I'm a real worrier about this. And we take our anxiety and we make it a pet. And I'm sorry, you're just going to have to deal with me. I'm a freak out about this. I worry about this. And we created a pet. He says, no, if anxiety comes our way, those things happen. Our emotions get wrapped up in these things. And he says, what are we supposed to do? We cast it onto him. Why? Because he cares for us. This, this hardly ever happens. But this morning, I did, God just, just intervened. And, and there was just an amazing moment this morning that just fits with what we're about to talk about this morning. We get up here, this stuff, obviously we're in a movie theater. We have to come and set stuff up. We're portable. The movie theater lets us get in here at 6.45 in the morning. So I drag the trailer here, me and my crew, and a bunch of people show up here. So we can all have church and show up here at 6.45 every Sunday to help make this happen. Set up over there, kids' church, nursery, the foyer where you got your donuts. All that stuff has to be set up. So we show up here. Well, I got to be here beforehand. Before then, and my kids like to make a stop and get burritos and some drinks and that kind of stuff. So we got to leave the house even earlier. So we try to leave the house about 626, to be exact. We've learned to milk every minute of the morning. And if we pull away from the house at 626, everything's going to be okay. 627, no go. 625, man, we're, we're ahead of schedule. We're killing it at 625. With 6.15 and something amazing happened and I've got all my stuff ready. I'm ready to go. I could go. I'm waiting on my kids. And so I'm going outside and I'm putting stuff in the car and making sure everything's there, doing a double check. And of course at 6.15 in the morning, it's dark. And there's nobody out. And I've come back over here and I'm walking up my, my drive and on my street there in Santa Rita, there's not any real street lights. It's dark. So we leave our porch light on all the time, and we're just providing our block a little light. And so, and it's just dark. So I'm walking up, and my, my, my driveway's dark. And all of a sudden, this, this <clears throat> big SUV, white SUV, comes rolling in front of my house at 6.15 in the morning. Trolling, kind of going slow. So I'm not saying people are out. People have to go to work and that kind of stuff. So, but all of a sudden, I see white lights come on, and it's, Stopped, put it in reverse, and it's backing up. And backing up, parks in front of my house. It's 6.15 in the morning, this morning. And a voice hollers out at me. I can't make out what they're saying other than, buddy. And I'm like, I don't know. So I go and stand in the light. I do the thing, you know, that you're supposed to do with a bear. You make yourself look as big as you can. I go and stand under my porch light so I get the little downward stuff so I look as menacing as I can. And like, stand there. It's at my house. My family lives there. And so the guy calls to me, rolls the passenger window down and calls to me. So I, you know, I walk up, sit there. And like I stand about four feet away from the car and he's talking to me. And asked me, I don't remember how, what first he said, but whatever it was, it prompted me to tell him, well, I'm getting ready to go to church. Right? We, I'm a pastor at Tinseltown, and, and we have to go and set up, and I've got to drag that trailer, and we have to go. And, and uh, so he says, you're going to church? And he's, his speech is slurred. And, and so I, I was like, yeah. So then I decided to walk up to the car. And introduce myself, and I stick my hand in the 
in the car window. And I, I'm not a little guy. I, I'm, I'm 6'2", 215 pounds. Sadly, not solid muscle. But it, it's hard to move still. And so, and he grabs my hand. His big old hand grabs my hand. And he just sits there and he grabs, and, and, and I'm telling him, I said, I'm Brandon Clark. And he grabs my hand and he just squeezes my hand. And pulls me in and pulls me up against the car and he's just pulling. And I'm like, I immediately look in the back seat. I'm like, I'm pinned. That can't go anywhere. This guy, somebody get out of the back seat and come rob me. I'm going, I'm like, what is going on? And his head just drops and he's just pulling my hand. And he goes, I know you. I said, okay. He said, I used to play basketball for you. Well, there was a Brandon Clark who was a coach at Lakeview that passed away a few years ago. And I'm like, I'm not a coach. Nobody plays basketball for me. I coached some, you know, some eight and under little girls one time. He said, this guy don't fit the bill. And, and so and I'm sitting there and he's like, I know you. I know you. And I'm like, I played. He said, it's me. He said, I, I'm, I'm the big black guy that played basketball for you. And he tells me his name. And I'm like, I haven't seen you in forever. How are you doing? And he's just crying. He's like, God wanted this moment. God so wanted this moment. My life is so, and he lets out some colorful language. And he's just, my life is so blankety blank. I just do all sorts of blank, blank, blank. And I am tired of it. I'm sick of my life. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And he's just bawling and sitting in his car in the middle of the street this morning. He won't let go of my hand. He's just squeezing. Man, so I just began to pray for him. That's all I knew to do. I just began to pray for him and he just is just crying. He's just snotting and he's just crying. And he's just sitting there and I'm just praying over him. And then he starts crying out to God, God, I love you. God, I'm sorry. God, I need you. And then he starts saying, I, and, and I start begin to just encourage him a little bit. He goes, I don't know how to give it to God. I want to. I don't know how. I said, this is where it starts. He said, I've just done so much bad stuff. And he was not in a normal state of mind at this moment. I don't know what he had done the hours earlier before that, but it was still having that cycle. And he's like, and I said, buddy, I said, this moment, you were right that God wanted this moment. And God wanted uh, you to understand that he knows right where you are and he loves you. This moment didn't happen in a church because you put on your best clothes and you showed up and you tried to do everything just right. God met you in the moment. You didn't expect God to show up right here. And God showed up right here because he loves you. And God's got something different for your life. And God's got a plan. And he's like, I just got married and I want to be a good husband. And I just, he's just crying out to God. The whole time my kids are in the house waiting, wondering where dad is. So finally, I text them, I'm outside. So they sitting there, and then he, the guy's like, I, I just need you to pray for me some more. He said, can I park my car? So he parks his car, and just it's in the street. And he gets out. This guy's about two inches bigger than me, and he just, we just puts our arms around each other, and we just begin to just pray. And Weston, he has no idea what's going on, so he's standing on the, 
porch like this. I asked him afterwards what he's doing. He said, I had no idea what was happening, but if that guy took after you, I was in the middle of him. I was like, you're going to know to go get Keenan because it's going to take all three of us. It was, this was going to be a scrap if it was going to go down. And, uh, and so, and, and he's just bawling and he's just crying all over my shoulder. And man, all of a sudden, just God shows up in the middle of that. And he starts telling me, he's like, I do so many effing unrighteous things and I'm just and I'm just this and that and, and I was like buddy do you know where righteousness comes from do you know where it comes from he said yeah begging God to forgive you I said no it doesn't I said it comes in receiving his forgiveness it's not about begging for his forgiveness he, he was reconciling the world including you to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them so many times people want to come to God and they're so far off because they think there's all of these different hoops. And he was looking at some big list of things and saying, I can't do it. And bless God, God showed up right in the middle of that street and said, you know what? I love you so much. I'll meet you right here. And I love you so much. I won't leave you here. We have to remember that God cares for us, when we think that we've jacked up so bad and we put this barrier between... I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he will reach to us all. And we can all forget it if we don't let it, if we don't remember how much we matter to him. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. This is Jesus with his disciples. It says he was leaving the crowd behind and they took him along just as, just as he was in the boat. And there also were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. So that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern. Jesus was up there in, in the forefront. Sleeping on a cushion. Is there a better picture of peace in a storm than Jesus sleeping on a cushion in the middle of it? He was sleeping. He was totally chilled. He didn't say, I'm trying to get some rest. There needs to be some peace and quiet here. He was able to rest no matter the circumstance. But the disciples woke him. And look at what they said. They said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Do you even care if we die? They forgot who was in their boat. They forgot who was right there with them. Do you even care? Maybe you're here today and you're wondering if God even cares. And guess what? You're in a good family because his disciples asked the same questions. The guys that took the gospel all over and, and started a movement that has changed the world had their moment of saying, do you even care? Don't beat yourself up if you hit that place. Listen to his voice. He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? At this point, they've already seen the miracles. They've already seen him work wonders. They've already seen him do all of these different things. But yet you still don't have faith. They believed he could do something. That's why they woke him up. What did they doubt? They didn't doubt his power. 
They doubt whether or not he cared. Most of us will find ourselves from time to time in that place. Not saying, God is God. I believe he can do anything. I just don't know that he will for me. I don't know that I matter that much to him. I don't know that I matter that much to the kingdom. My friends, that's a lie. That's a lie. And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. See, when we take our problems to God, it helps us to not make the mess messier or the trouble more troublesome. I don't know about you, but um, I'm pretty good at having some trouble and then making it worse. I'm pretty good at getting in the middle of trying to fix something and tearing it up even worse. There's this window between when I have plumbing issues and when I call the plumber. And it's called, that window is called Brandon Fix It. And then I finally make it such a good mess that I'm completely convinced I need a plumber. And then I call the plumber. Or other things. That's just the way things go. And we tend to do that in our lives. And I want us to quickly look at David, a man who the scriptures say was the man after God's own heart. And we're going to look at one of David's ugliest moments. David had some painful moments, some really hard moments. But I want us to look at this one in David's life, and I want us to see how he responded. And then we're going to look at some of the Psalms, because these Psalms of David are, the, are some of his prayers and what's going on in his mind and in his heart that got set down to Scripture. And so we're going to see what he did, and then we're going to get to get into his brain a little bit and see how he did it. And I think we can really reap some real learning out of this. Let's go ahead and look at First Samuel 30, and we're just going to start in verse 1. It says, and, and it happened that when David and his men had come to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and had struck Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now, Ziklag was a place where David and his families and all his men had lived. And they burned it. And they had seized the women in it. And they did not kill any neither small or great, but carried them all away and went on their way. And David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and the daughters had been taken captive. So here's the scene. His guys have been out doing their thing, and they they all come back. It's David and hundreds of men. And they come back, and their town where they live, everything's burned. Their houses are burned. Their barns are burned. All their stuff is burned. And all of their family are gone. They're, they're completely gone. These guys have been loyal to David. They've been out under his leadership. And when he, the, he comes home, everything is gone. I want to say that this is not just a bad day. This is a horrible, absolute mess of a day. It says, And David and the people with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep some of you have had that kind of pain in your life where you have cried to where you can't cry anymore you have just poured it out where you're just like i i I, i'm still in pain but i'm I'm just i'm numb i don't even know how to to respond I, i can't even do anything here 
And after they had sat there and they had wept that way and poured it out of the heaven with power to weep, and <clears throat> then we see in verse 5, David's two wives had been seized. Ahinoam and Jezreel and <clears throat> of Jezreel and Abigail, the former wife of Nabal of Carmel. And it greatly distressed David. I think that's putting it lightly. For the people spoke of stoning him. They're like, you're our leader. You did this to us, and now we're going to take it out on you. David's stuff is stolen. David's stuff is burnt. David's family's gone. And now all his guys are like, we're done with you as our leader, and we're going to kill you. We're done with you. I'd say that all of a sudden his ugly day got even uglier. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, each one for his sons and for his daughters. And here comes the amazing shift. But David encouraged himself in Jehovah his God. David encouraged himself. Nobody around him was encouraging him. Everybody around him wanted to kill him. Nobody was giving him pep talks. Nobody was telling him, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. Hey, we're still with you. No, he was all alone. But there was something that had been solidified in all his years of pursuing God. That he encouraged himself in the Lord. And you read the scriptures. He, he says, this is what I need to do. We need to seek God. And they took a moment and they saw God. And, and the word came to them that they would recover all. So he says, guess what? God says this isn't the end. This looks like the end. God says that it's in the end. They end up going out and getting everything back. Plus a ton of other stuff that these, that these thieves had gone and taken. And they end up bringing back more than they ever started out with to begin with and nobody lost a child a wife or anybody along the way but he encouraged himself in the lord well that sounds like a guy who probably just has this really sweet awesome little prayer life always is chipper and doing great and just one of those super christians that makes you want to puke how are you i'm so awesome well, I'm not. I'm having a rough day. I need some prayer. Well, I'm awesome, and I'll give you a little of my awesome, and I'll pray over you. Oh, the, David wasn't that guy. But somehow he's able to encourage himself in the Lord. Let's look at some of the stuff David penned. Let's look at Psalm 10, 1. It says, why, Lord, do you stand afar off? He's talking to God. I want you to get this right here, okay? You understand in your life. That you would much rather, if there's tension, you would much rather have someone talk to you than about you. Would we all agree with that? You would much rather, if someone has a beef with you, if somebody is not understanding something that came out of your mouth, you would much rather say them say, I can't believe you said this, instead of going over here and saying, I can't believe they said this. And then get fixed that way. Well, in the natural world with you and I, it can get fixed if we'll talk to each other. The same way with God. It's a relationship. Talk to him. David's talking. He's not talking about God. He's talking to God. And he says, why, Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I'm in trouble, and I don't see you anywhere around. It seems like you've completely abandoned me here. Let's look at Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. You're not, it's not even like you're about to do something. I just feel so isolated from you. 
Does this sound like the guy who in the middle of that other mess would encourage himself in the Lord? There's a process. There's a realness. There's a rawness. There's an honesty of recognizing that God really cares about you. He really wants a relationship with you. And therefore, he really wants these conversations. Verse 42, 9, it says, I say to God, my rock. You're, my, you're everything I stand on. What does he say to him? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? It sounds like something most super religious people would have a hard time saying to God. And this is the man after God's own heart who says it. Look at verse 44. I mean, chapter, uh, chapter 44, verse 23. Or 43. I mistyped. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. God, wake up. Where are you? Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget about our misery and oppression? But then we begin to see some of the places he turns. And he says this more than once. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He's, he's talked to God about that he's disturbed. And then he begins to talk to himself. And remind himself of some things. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, if you're disturbed and downcast, are you feeling like praising? Are you feeling like putting your hope in God? Nope. That's why he had to talk to himself. First he talked to God, then he talked to himself and said, Look, God's faithful. He's been good to you. Does that look like someone who maybe encouraged himself in the Lord? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It says that exact same phrase again in the very next song. Now let's go back and let's take another fresh look at Psalm 10.1 where we started this peek into his mind. It says, why, Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then we're going to jump down. He, the rest of it, you can read it on your own. He's, he's just lots of just getting stuff off his chest. And then he jumps down and says, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. He starts out saying, where are you? Why are you hiding yourself? And he ends it up saying, Lord, you're there for us. You encourage, you listen, you're there. In the middle of your trouble, the way you begin to take the trouble out of your trouble is first off, be honest with God. Jesus is the one that said, in this world, you will have trouble. So when we go to God and say, God, I'm having some trouble, he's not like, oh, seriously? I thought you were doing pretty good. Hmm, tell me about this. He knows, he knows. So you can sit there and you begin to go and speak to God and deal with it in your rawness. This was something I witnessed this morning. In the street, as this God, as this guy is crying out to God, saying, I'm sick of my life. I can't do this. I can't go on this way anymore. And they use some colorful language speaking to God. 
But he was raw and he was honest. And as he got out of that vehicle and he stood there and he hugged me and we prayed and he cried out to God and he prayed. At the end of that, he had his end of Psalm 10 moment. And he says, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I so needed this. I told him we would try to connect later this week and begin to have some some lunch, begin to connect and begin to see God move in his life. And all of a sudden his whole countenance was shifted and everything was shifted. And I'm telling you, it didn't look like something pretty. And most churches, if that, that kind of prayer was prayed at the front, they'd say, you need to get out of here. You can't talk to God that way. But I'm telling you, in the middle of that street, that guy had a moment with God. And God cares about you so much. If he would have Jesus go through what he did, and deal with our sin, why would we let our sin keep us from Him? He had Jesus deal with it so it didn't keep Him from us. Why in the world would you let it keep you from Him? He's not. That's the only way life changes. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't fix ourselves. We can't grab ourselves by our own spiritual bootstraps and make ourselves better. 1 Samuel 30, 18. This is the rest of that story so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking either small or great sons or daughters spoil or anything which was taken from them David recovered all and I want to close with this last thought that on our darkest day in our deepest trouble God's there for us James 5.13 says is anyone among you in trouble let him pray talk to God you're like I don't even know how to get it out just start talking to him that's what very much what it looks like David did he sits down with a pen and he's just frustrated and he's just and then as he's pouring his heart out to God Holy Spirit begins to move and shift the worst thing you can do is to just stay isolated and not engage with God at all just start engaging just he'll meet you right there Romans 8 it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember, that's what this is about, is his love for us. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, that is it written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. He loves us. See, the truth is, is in Jesus, we can live the way we were created to live. Remember, we weren't created. We looked at this. We were created to know God and never experience evil. That was original creation. Man's gone his own way and invited evil into this process. We invited evil when we chose to eat of the knowledge of good and evil. We invited evil into this process. And, and as he is moving towards restoration as he's bringing about the restoration of all things in Christ. And he's getting us back to that place where we know him and experience no evil. That's what the promise of the fact that these bodies get spent at some point and we're in eternity with God forever, that we know him and never experience evil. But we can trust him and take heart in the middle of our trouble here and live an untroubled life in a troubled world. I want to create a quiet moment. And if you're here and you say, Brandon, 
I've been on the outside looking in. I've been trying to get myself ready to, to do this Christ thing and to work harder and to, to dig deeper and to, to do better. And I see that that's not what it's about. 